Shawnee Northwest and everyone who's joining us online, I just have to start by saying this is incredibly strange for me. It's incredibly strange to be talking to an empty building, but I take comfort knowing that you are watching on your phones, on your computers, on your smart TVs at home. And we just want to say that we are so looking forward to being able to meet together again. The pastoral staff, we we talk about it every week, and obviously we're going to wait until it's safe and advised to do so. But just so you know, we really miss you guys. We really miss meeting together. So this month we are talking about transformation, how the gospel transforms our lives, how Jesus transforms us. And today I'm actually going to be talking about suffering. And suffering is not a lighthearted topic. It's a very sensitive topic. And it's a very huge topic. I'll I'll barely scratch the surface today. But I think it's important because Christianity transforms suffering into something that holds tremendous value for Christians. Although we don't always like to see it that way, but it can. Suffering is transformed into something that holds value. And so right off the bat, I just want to start with this disclaimer, which is that there's a wide array of everyone's definition of suffering, okay? Uh, especially when we compare maybe what we go through in this country uh, compared to other countries that maybe have slavery going on and, and really terrible issues. But let's just give grace for each other today as we talk about suffering and going through difficult times that, that our experiences are different. So I may share something I'm going through that is really difficult for me. And you might be able to, to look at me and be like, that is nothing. That is nothing compared to what I've been through in my life. We're not going to look at anyone else today. We're just going to look at this subject of suffering and going through difficulty and what the Christian perspective of that is. In this pandemic that we're in, these are unusual times. And so whenever our normal routine is disrupted, There's discomfort in that. It makes us uncomfortable. Now, there is a lot of distance between being uncomfortable and officially suffering. For one person, they might be uncomfortable, and that threshold is long. There's a lot of space between the point where they'd officially say, I am really struggling. I'm suffering here. I'm really barely trying to hang on. Where someone else, that space between discomfort and feeling as if they're already suffering, that space might be smaller for someone else. So just keep in mind that everyone's in a different place. In fact, the pastoral staff has been reaching out to many of you, and we've had conversations with a lot of you in this congregation. And what we've discovered is that everyone is in very different places. Even though we're going through the same experience, how that is manifesting in each of our families is different. So for some of you, you're loving this time because you're still working, but you're getting to work from home. So there's no commute, there's no meetings in the evening. So for some of you, this time has really been a time of resting and really not that bad. For others of you, you're still working, but you're having to educate your children at the same time. And that presents a lot of challenges. Others we've spoken to have already lost your jobs. And so now you're scrambling, wondering, what am I going to do to pay the bills? Where, where can I look for a job? What can I do to come up with income? Many of you in our congregation are healthcare workers and are on the front lines. And this is, for some of you, the busiest you have ever been in your life. 
So while others are relaxing at home, you are working your butts off, as well as putting your, exposing yourself on the front lines to this virus and then having to go home to your roommates or families and potentially exposing them. And that's no small thing. <clears throat> Still, others of you in this congregation are business owners and you're having difficulty sleeping at night because you're wondering how long your business can sustain this pause in the economy. And you're thinking about your employees and potentially having to let them go and, and knowing that their families rely on this income. That's a tough, tough spot to be in. <clears throat> and finally, there's, there's lots of us in the congregation that wrestle with depression and anxiety on our best days. And so adding a situation like this where now we're, we're feeling isolated and every time we open our phones and turn on the news, there's, you know, it feels like more bad news and, and scary information. And so for this time, it's really a battle to keep your head above the waters of depression and anxiety. But we just want you to know that we are praying for you, we care about you, and we are in this with you. And so we have a pastoral line. If you don't have our numbers, please call us if you need to reach out. We care about what you're going through. So when I talk about suffering today or going through difficulty, going through challenges, please give some grace. Just take some grace, ball it up, and shove it in your mind. If you're one of the people that this time is just like, hey, things are good. I'm working and I'm less busy, so I'm really enjoying this time. Well, keep in mind that not everyone is in the situation you're in. And so as we talk about difficulty today, uh, know that everyone's in a different place. So suffering is a challenging reality for everyone, right? There's no one that can escape the difficulties and the pain that come with this life. We're gonna experience death of our own bodies, death of our loved ones. Most of us will go through difficult times of, of having financial challenges. Most of us will go through times of having health challenges or family members who have health challenges. So this is just a part of life, right? There's no one that can escape it. And from a Christian perspective, we believe it's because we're in a fallen world, that we chose sin in the beginning in the garden. We chose our own way. And so we now live in a world that has the consequences of sin consequences of evil, of the consequences of death, that stuff that God never intended. So there's no escaping going through difficulty. But I want to look today at two perspectives of suffering, suffering without God and suffering with God, and kind of look at, at the differences between the two. So we're going to start by discussing suffering without God and a little bit of what that looks like. Richard Dawkins, who's arguably one of the most well-known atheists of our time, he says this about uh, the universe. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. So basically, suffering shouldn't be shocking. It's exactly what we should expect from a world, from a universe that came about by accident, by happenstance. Just, it is what it is. And for some, like Dawkins, this provides some measure of comfort, some measure of relief to take God out of the picture. Because at that point, you can tell yourself, don't worry about trying to make sense of what you're going through when you go through something difficult. Stuff's gonna happen. It's just gonna happen because everything happens by chance. Everything happens by accident. So don't torture yourself in trying to find meaning in it. Don't torture yourself in trying to figure out what you've done or what, 
It is what it is. Stuff happens. Don't be disappointed. Just accept it. But this presents a problem to me, to, to have a world where there's no good, no evil, no purpose, then why do we mourn? Why do we feel loss? If there's no right or wrong, why be upset when bad things happen? Because if there's no wrong, there's no right, then there's also no place for injustice, so there's no place for justice. Because if this is all a delusion, if right and wrong is delusion, then we really have no reason to be upset when bad things happen. Why would we try to empathize with other people's suffering if it's all by happenstance, by chance, a byproduct of our, of our evolutionary process? And so everything really begins to unravel when we say that there is no purpose. Who you are, there is no identity for us if there is no purpose in this life, in this universe. And so without God, we will still suffer. We will still go through difficult things, but there's no hope, there's no redemption, there's no purpose, there's no justice for anything that we go through. As Dawkins says, there's just indifference. It is what it is. And even, he says, without pity, there's no even reason to pity if this is all just, if we, I read someone described people as computers with delusions of personhood. And so suffering without God, you still suffer, but there's no, there's no hope for anything else. And there's really no reason to even feel sorry for anyone else when they go through bad things, because there is no bad. There is no good. So now let's move on. We're going to look at what it, suffering with God is like. What does the Bible say about suffering? What is uh, Jesus's perspective when we go through difficult times. So to do this, we're going to read through a chunk of scripture. So, and we'll pause at different points. I have different markers, and we're going to pause and kind of talk through what we see in the scripture. So we're going to be reading from John 11. So let's take a look. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he had heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So right away at the beginning of this passage, we see one of the great difficulties as it relates to suffering as a Christian. Jesus loved this family, but it says, when they called to him for help, he waited. And we experience the same thing. Sometimes when you call on Jesus to help you in a situation, he doesn't come, not right away, or not in the way that you would hope that he would. And this is challenging because we believe in an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God. We believe that he can do anything. And so the question that rattles around inside of our head when we're suffering, when we're going through difficulty, when we have come up on hard times is, why a God who could fix everything sometimes doesn't? 
Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and make this difficult situation go away? And perhaps that's part of the attraction to an atheistic point of view, is that on top of suffering, you're also not disappointed in a deity that you think should have saved you from this pain. But we see throughout the scriptures that Jesus, that God the Father, does not always come through and answer what we, in the way we think he should answer. We see this even with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he went to the cross, he asked the Father, please, if there's any other way, if I don't have to go through this, if I don't have to, is there any other way? Can there be another way? But the Father remained silent, and so Jesus was obedient and went through the suffering that he went through for us. We know that Paul in the scripture prayed for what he called a thorn in his side. We don't know what it was, some kind of physical ailment. And we know that God did not heal him from that. We all have things in our lives that we want God to change for us, that maybe we don't understand why he hasn't come through. If, if you're new to, to this church or to streaming with us, you might not know uh, a big part of me and my husband's story, but we've, we will have been married for 14 years uh, in June. And we have never been able to conceive a biological child. That's been tough throughout the years. That's an area where we have prayed and we don't understand why God wouldn't come through in that way. In our family, we've lost multiple family members too young to things like cancer, other illnesses, to horrible car accidents that took their life. I have a nephew with autism. I have another family member that that has such chronic illness that she's on disability. Sometimes we don't see God move in the way that we think he should move. We don't see him come when we have called him in a certain way. So let's keep going and see what else is in the scripture to give us some hope and some answers. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So four days go by. Jesus finally arrives. And he doesn't immediately fix Martha and Mary's problem, right? He doesn't stroll up. and He's like, girls, sorry, got held up. But don't worry, I'm going right now. We're going to fix this situation. Just you wait and see. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to heal him. He's going to come back to life. He doesn't do that. Not right away. He goes to Martha. He talks to Martha. He looks his grieving friend in the face. This friend that he loves, who's in terrible emotional pain. And he asks her a question. And he says, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Sorry about that. Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. So Martha thinks here that Jesus is referring to heaven, our end goal promise of being in heaven with him. And this is where most Christians are when it comes to suffering. This is where most of us kind of hold on and, and take some comfort is that knowing that despite that we didn't deserve forgiveness, Jesus had paid a price 
for our future, for heaven, for eternity, and that eventually we will get to go be with him. And this is where most of us sit. But this, having that end goal promise is quite an anchor for us, knowing that one day we will be in heaven with him. But it doesn't do much to ease our pain now. It doesn't do too much to ease the suffering or the challenges we're going through, just to know that one day we will be with him. I've had this conversation round and round several times with family members recently, as we have recently, just a few months ago, lost a family member unexpectedly. And so we've gone round and round in this conversation of disappointment and and frustration and sadness, but then finally settling on, you know what, one day we have eternity, and that's more than we deserve, so we'll just settle in that. But God promises us more. That's not the only place that we have to sit in our suffering is holding on to that one day promise, which is a promise for us that one day we will get to be with him. Let's keep looking at what Jesus says to Martha. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So Jesus, when he's there, turns to Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he looks his mourning, grieving friend in the face. And he doesn't say, I'm going to fix your problems. I'm going to take care of Lazarus. So don't worry about that. No, he asked her a question. He says, I am the resurrection, the life. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe it? And it's easy to think that this conversation is all about Lazarus, that that he is the resurrection and the life for Lazarus, because we know at the end of the story, he does heal Lazarus and he's raised from the tomb. But in this moment, he's not talking to Lazarus. He's talking to Martha. He's talking to his friend. He's saying, in this moment, I know the thing you think you need more than anything is to have your brother back. But what you really need more than anything is to have me, to know that I am your resurrection. I am your life. I am what you need more than anything right now. And so here in this scripture, we see that Jesus claims to be life resurrected life, life in the face of suffering, life in the face of death. He is our life. And Martha responds in an unbelievable way. She says, yes, I believe it. I have faith that you are who you say you are. Now, keep in mind, this isn't asking Martha on her best day, right? Catch me on a good day and my faith, yes. Ask me, do I believe God can do anything? Is he who he says he is? Yes. Ask me that question day four after a family member has passed away. It's a harder question to answer. Ask me four days after I lose my job, do I believe that Jesus is everything? Ask me four days after my boyfriend breaks up with me, four days after my spouse files for divorce, four days after I get a diagnosis that my child has a a terrible illness. Think about the position Martha was in when Jesus looks her in the eye and asks her this question. Her faith is remarkable. Let's finish up this path, what we're going to read today. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Let's read that again. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So after Mary comes out and vents her frustration to Jesus, because that's what they both were doing, and that's what I do, I have done as well. When, when God doesn't move in a way I think he should move, it's like, God, you could do this. I know you could do this. I don't know why you didn't do this, but you could have done this. So after Mary vents her frustration, the Lord didn't come through. We come to an incredibly interesting and fascinating verse in the scriptures. And that verse says that Jesus wept. Jesus cried. He felt sad. He feels grief. He feels grief even though he knows what he's about to do. Even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. He feels grief even though he could have gotten there several days earlier and healed him. He feels grief even though he knows there's a happy ending coming. And this is where we see this along with several other places in Scripture. This is where we see that we have a God who suffers with us, who got into our suffering and cares about what we go through. Isaiah 53, 5 describes him as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we see this even clearer from the vantage point of the cross. We know what Jesus went through to purchase our sin. It's what Pastor Peter talked about last week. It's what we celebrate at Easter, that he came, took on our sorrows, took on our sins, and paid that price for us. He was abandoned by his friends. He was beat up. He was stripped naked. He was rejected by his father, and he was killed. And even though he knew resurrection was coming, even though he knew he was going to be with his father the moment he passed, he still cried out for his father. Jesus still cries with Martha and Mary, even though he knows resurrection is coming. And Jesus knows the end is coming for us. He knows the end of the story, that one day he's going to wipe every tear from our eye, take away all our pain, take away all our suffering. He knows the end. That is coming to those who believe and have accepted his work on the cross. And yet, we still, he still feels our pain. He still suffers with us and cares about what we go through. And I think this is very interesting. This is very special because pain is a place of intimacy in a relationship. There's a special intimacy that comes when you go through a painful experience with some, someone or you meet someone who's had that same painful experience because you can celebrate with anyone, right? You, you, you can celebrate with anyone. You, you be in the club, room full of strangers, right? No, you can celebrate. You can have a good time with anybody. If, the, if your team wins the World Series... That whole bar is jumping together, high-fiving, buying each other drinks, hugging. Celebration can be done with anyone, but pain 
Pain is something you only let those closest to you in on. And when you meet someone who's also lost their parent or lost a child to illness or gone through a divorce, there's like an intimacy that comes because it's like, you know, you know what I've been through. And so there's an intimacy that comes through, through pain and, and knowing what that experience is like that you can't manufacture in any other way. And so what is so amazing about Jesus Christ and the claims of Christianity is that we have a Savior who literally stepped into our skin, put on our flesh, and suffered for us, suffered with us, suffered alongside us so that we could have an intimacy with him like nothing else. So that when we go through difficulty, he's right there. We know that he knows what we're going through. When we went through, uh, it was seven years before we were able to adopt a child. And in those times, there was a lot of dark moments, a lot of painful moments. And there were so many times that I would be, I would wait till I was alone. And I would wait till I was in the shower, in the car. I would go out to be alone at a park. And I would just sit and be with God. And I would say, I know you know how I feel. And you're the only one who knows what I'm going through. And even though those times were difficult, I would not trade them because the intimacy I experienced by having to call out to my Savior to know, just know that there was someone who could empathize with me, someone who could know exactly how I felt. I wouldn't change those moments. I wouldn't go back and make it happen sooner because I would not have the intimacy that I experienced by going through that difficulty without Christ. So we can still ask the question, why? Like, why didn't, why didn't Jesus come sooner? If now he's going to cry about it, he's, he, he cares that they were upset. Why didn't he come sooner? Well, we know that he wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead and show that he had power over death. But then we could ask, okay, then why didn't he just tell them? Why didn't he tell Mary and Martha? Why didn't he tell the messenger, listen, I'm going to wait because I want Lazarus to die, because I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a mic drop moment. So don't, just don't be sad. It's okay. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus let his friends, the women, that family that he loved, he let them go through four days of terrible emotional pain. And it's right here in this moment that we see the biblical perspective of suffering. Because it's in that time frame between Lazarus dying and Jesus raising him from the dead, this space of time is where Martha sees Jesus for who he really is, her very resurrection in life. That in that moment when she had lost the thing that she thought was most important, because remember, men of the family represented also financial security, when she had lost someone so important to her, she sees Jesus for who he is. He really is to her, her everything. And this is where we see that Jesus is not a means to an end. But so often we can treat him like that. We just live our life and if it's going well, great. But as soon as something goes wrong, we're like, oh, let's pray. Let's get Jesus to do something to fix that so I can get back to this life that I'm enjoying. And we use Jesus as a means to an end. We use prayer as a means to an end. But Jesus is not a means to an end. He is not a magic potion that Martha could sprinkle on her situation to make her situation better. He is the end. 
Her circumstances were, drove her to him, that she would see him as her resurrection and life and nothing short of that. I read a book called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's a really great book. I recommend you reading it. And she had a chapter on suffering that was just so excellent and uh, which inspired this message today. But I want to show you, uh, take a quote from that chapter of what she says about suffering. It's not that our suffering doesn't matter. It matters enough to bring tears to the eyes of the Son of God. But it matters like a first meeting matters to marriage or like birth matters to motherhood. It's an entry point to a relationship a relationship formed through suffering as much as through joy. If, as Jesus claims, the goal of our existence is a relationship with him, finding him in our suffering is the point. Jesus doesn't promise us protection from pain. He guaranteed us freedom from uh, um, condemnation, from what our sins deserve, from judgment, That's what last week was about. That's what the cross is about. But he never promised that we wouldn't go through pain. But we do know because of the cross that he promises to be in that pain with us. That he suffered, experienced every sorrow, experienced every sin, every shame. He took that, experienced it so that he could be with us when we go through times of pain. And we can still ask that question, well, why? Why doesn't he just change it? Why doesn't he just take the pain away? Why doesn't he just put Christians in little bubbles so they never experience anything difficult? But he's not interested in changing your situation. He's interested in you running to him as your father, letting your circumstances drive you to an intimacy with him you would not otherwise experience. So that you have that same moment that Martha had It says, you, God, are my resurrection. You're my life. You're my everything. Not my job, not my family, not my children. You, you are everything to me. If you think about it, if if you've ever got to experience or watch a birth or maybe you've had your own children, no husband wants to watch his wife in labor pain. It's, it's awful. I've, I've gotten the privilege of being able to see all of my sisters give birth to their children. I've gotten to be a part of many of my friends uh, in the labor process watching them give birth. It's an amazing thing to see. But one of those difficult things of that process is watching a person you love go through terrible pain. But no husband I know, if given the opportunity, let's just say in a magical land, The doctor said, okay, here's a pill. And if you just don't want your wife going through this pain, then give her this pill and it'll all be done. There'll be no baby, but the labor will be over and no more pain. I don't know any husband that would give their wife that pill or any wife that would want to take it. Because despite how painful that labor is, you want to see that baby. You want to see what's on the other side of that labor. And so it's given me an interesting perspective to watch people I love have children, be in labor pains, and watching their loved ones sit beside them and hold their hand because it's made me realize, man, that must be like a small picture of what God is doing when we're suffering. He's holding our hand. He's saying, come on, you can get through this. You can get through the next hour. You can get through the next week. We're going to do it together. But what's on the other side of this pain? What's on the other side of this difficulty is going to be something so beautiful that I can't describe it. 
You just have to go through it and I'll go through it with you. Because on the other side of that suffering could be more intimacy with him. It could be that revelation that he is everything you need. It could be something in your character that needed to be produced that could only be produced through difficulty. We don't know what's on the other side when we go through difficult things, but we know that Christ is there with you. He cares about what you're going through. He's not looking up indifferent, looking down like, well, look at these poor fools. You know, they didn't choose me and they chose sin. And so there's all these consequences. He's not doing that. He's looking down at us, caring, loving us, concerned for us, who suffered with us. We're all in some level of discomfort right now with what we're going through, some more than others. But please remember that in Christ, there's not only the hope for a better end, that yes, we get eternity with him one day, but there's intimacy available now for you in Christ. And you have a a savior that cares about what you go through. And he's right there alongside you. So let's believe this morning that Jesus is the resurrection and life for you, for you. He is your life. In the midst of being uncomfortable, in the midst of not understanding, he is for you. So I'm going to close with prayer this morning. Father, I thank you that you are with us. You are with us. You are for us. You are with us. You are for us. You are with us. And you proved that you care about what we go through because you are a savior who came down and experienced what we experience so that we could share an intimacy with you. And we could know that you are right there with us when we go through difficult times. And Father, I thank you that you do know the end of the story, that one day you will come and make all things right and you will deal with sin and you will deal with uh, the consequences of sin. But until then, God, I pray for everyone who's listening that they would seek out an intimacy, a closeness with you, that we wouldn't distract ourselves from the discomfort just with Netflix and food and drugs and getting a new boyfriend or pornography, all these things we do to relieve our discomfort. God, they're empty. I pray that each person listening right now would dive into you, would run to their father and say, God, I'm scared or I don't know what's happening. I might not, I don't know where to look for a new job. I don't know what's going to happen, but father, I'm trusting you. I'm running to you. And I know that you are right here. You have not forgotten me. You have not abandoned me. You are for me. You are with us. You are for us. Thank you, God. Amen. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday.